0: Also, I really want to make 14 into thing. He was doctor number 10 and he was tenant. So now he's doctor number 14, he's 14ant. 14 Fourteenant. 14
1: I mean, we can see if we can make that happen.
0: I, we don't have the power, but I will continue to refer to him as 14 ent 14ant.
1: alright right. I'll try and remember that's what you're saying whenever you say that made up word. <laughs> <laughs> doctor
0: Boom. Doctor Boom. Talk. Talk. Who?
1: Hello all, I'm Ruth. And I'm Nick. And welcome to our podcast, Universal Appeal.
0: We've each chosen our 10 favourite episodes of Doctor Who, covering every Doctor since the revival. Each week we watch one of those episodes and share our thoughts and opinions on it.
1: We also look through the Doctor Who news of the week and speculate wildly over what is coming up in the universe.
0: This week we have Ruth's pick, The Empty Child, but first the news.
1: And as always, from this point out, spoilers for everything and anything Doctor Who. Uh,
0: So, what news have you got this week?
1: Okay, so there hasn't been like much in the way of proper announcements, but we can kind of dive into the rumour mill, if you're interested. Yeah. So, yeah, the rumour mill is all over the place at the moment. So I don't know if you've seen some of the filming pictures. They did officially release the 60s costumes.
0: I haven't seen them. I mean, this is kind of no. why I have asked you to bring the news each week. Um, my algorithms are not very well built for bringing me Doctor Who news. I don't know why.
1: Oh, see, I th- you're just—it's not in your heart and soul, is it? It's <laughs> not
0: um, in my algorithm. That's
1: all my algorithm is. I see things I don't want to see. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so yeah, there, there's definitely going to be an episode set in the 60s, and mm-hmm. they've released a uh, costume photo with uh, Shooty and uh, Millie Gibson in their sort of 60s outfits, looking very, very cool. You know, the Dox has got a whole new outfit and a little bit of a fro going on. I'm loving it.
0: I can really imagine those two pulling off the 60s brilliantly as well. I think, you know, Millie in, like, 60s Bob and mini skirt, she's just going to look so cool. And is there a period that Shooty doesn't look cool? I don't
1: think so. We're, we're yet to find it.
0: Yeah, he's he's got a hell of a lot of charm, hasn't he? So, uh, no, that sounds exciting.
1: Yeah, I think he could be in the running for... I think he'll be up there with... Um... Like Pertwee is like a very charismatic doctor. Yeah, I think he's gonna be suave. That's what I, that's the vibe I'm getting. I mean, we 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 haven't seen him at all yet, but we're so we're taking big assumptions here. This is the speculating wildly bit.
0: I've seen him in other things, and he just himself is effortlessly smooth. He's like I I, I want to just follow him around. I just kind of you know that that feeling that you get with like kids at school where they yeah. are the place to be. I I just like to be in his it's orbit. What you
1: wanted for the doctor? So. Her well casting,
0: yeah, so 60s,
1: yeah, so um, swinging 60s. It seems this also appears to be the episode that has Jinx Monsoon in. So, the photo they've released of Jinx, uh, she's wearing a sort of piano themed outfit, which gives it a strong suggestion uh. that there's gonna be a musical link. And uh, one of the shots that they've been seen filming appeared to be the uh, most famous Zebra Crossing in London,
0: okay. Abbey Road.
1: It looks like it's going to be Abbey Road, and some of the other filming locations on the inside look like Abbey Road Studios. One of the tidbits that Russell T Davis released for this episode is that it contains the word Liverpool. Okay. So, I'm thinking Beatles.
0: That's definitely the way it's pointing. Will um, Ruby Sunday be looking to go and see the the, the Beatles and they get pulled off? distracted by something and never actually catch up with the Beatles but it's definitely a Beatles suggestion isn't it there's definitely that's where they're pointing it do we know that Jinx is only in one episode I, I
1: think the announcement suggested as sort of more than one so not sure Definitely was seen on set for this one.
0: Are there any rumours about who she is or what she is? Is she some sort of sort of time hopping villain? Or is she a possible kind of Jack, a Captain Jack or similar?
1: No idea. I think she's meant to be a villain. Okay. So don't know. So I'm I'm quite excited to see what they do with this. But yeah, she looks pretty cool. So I'm pretty excited.
0: So were we thinking that it would just be the Beatles are there and the doctor has to save them. Do we think that Russell T. Davis is kind of cheesy and corny enough to be to have the doctor have to fill in for Ringo Starr on the drums or something for the recording of Abbey Road?
1: Potentially, I don't know. The Beatles have nearly been in Doctor Who before, properly. I was going
0: to say as actors, right?
1: So yeah, in in the sixties, um, in the the one of the first Doctor serials, the Chase, they were meant to be. There was meant to be a scene where the Tardis like crew were gonna go and watch a Beatles concert with the Beatles as old men. Okay. And, you know, the guys themselves wanted to do it but their manager wouldn't allow it. So there is a clip of them was used instead, like a top of the pops clip. So the Beatles have been in Doctor He and they have they did want to be in Doctor Who back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see a bit of Beatles.
0: Yeah, that is that is interesting and exciting. I did see something. I saw the um, recording blocks this week and had a slight theory out of that. So the block one. They're recording episode four and five, and it's confirmed to be written by Russell T. Davis. Block two is the Christmas special, again, confirmed to be written by Russell T. Davis. And then none of the rest of the blocks have consecutive episodes because it's they do the blocks by director. So four and five share yeah. a director. Uh, block three is one and three block four right. is two and six and it's got here the block five is to be announced and episode eight well what we haven't got is seven in all that <laughs> so i'm assuming that's seven and eight but if it's seven and eight that's the end of the series we would expect a two-parter there are we going to have a mid-series two-parter four and five
1: that would be good we haven't had I i missed the old layout of your mid-series your late series and your series finale two-parters that felt like a good sister
0: yeah so so that's interesting that it's the 60s that's also the first block being recorded and jinx was one of the first people announced to be starring in wasn't she
1: yes yeah
0: so i wonder whether there's a a lineup there whether that's that's what's going on
1: what i'm liking what they're doing at the moment is uh, there's stuff that you know so you know more than you did under a name to but you know you don't know everything there's such we don't know
0: there's enough for us to be speculating and not enough for us to get it right. What other rumours do we have? I've heard an interesting sort of, this is massive speculation, and I don't know where it's from, but that River Song may well be in them, and that the argument for that is that she recognised Tennant. So she probably met Fortinant.
1: I'd like that, that would be very neat. It would yeah i I, I like that one I, I I think, oh at least I would like it to see it happen in like extended media. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad that they seem to be planning on leaving some gaps for Fourteenant so they can do, you know,
0: Big Finish. And
1: I think there's a comic series with him at the moment.
0: Okay. I wasn't aware that they were leaving gaps. I had a feeling it was just going to be very back-to-back, quick regeneration.
1: Ah, okay. So I believe there is a comic series at the moment happening okay. um, in Doctor Who magazine yeah. that's featuring Fourteenant, which is happening immediately after Regeneration. Yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit of a gap, which I like. I like. I like that they leave gaps.
0: I think it'd pay off as well to have River Song turn up and be there for the 60th. I think that that makes sense. Mm. She wasn't in the 50th at all, was she?
1: No, she's not.
0: And I, I mean, at a certain point, you do have to sort of let her have died to, to Moot, otherwise a lot of the stuff they've gone through doesn't count, and he's already been to Trenzalore and visited her grave that wasn't her grave and all of that. You need to let her be dead.
1: Yeah, there needs to be a certain amount of gravitas with
0: that. But once Matt's cleared off, they brought her back for her last night, but they brought her back in, in the the husbands of River Song, um, and they can bring her back for Fortinant. What we know is that she had a list of his original 13 or 12 regenerations because she didn't recognize capaldi because that was an extra regeneration wasn't it
1: yeah so she wouldn't know about jody
0: she wouldn't know about jody she wouldn't know about shooty she wouldn't know about anybody afterwards but she can see 14 and that doesn't spoil that because his face is the same as 10's. Yeah,
1: yes so you're just thinking oh he
0: got old yeah and even then he yeah. didn't get that old he's still
1: he's... What, in his 50s? But he's looking good
0: for it. Is he in his 50s?
1: 52.
0: Wow, yeah, fair play.
1: Looking great on it. You
0: you will definitely be the person I know most who will be able to answer this. What do we know versus what we have guessed or worked out in the, the specials, in the 14-inch specials. Do we know that it's the Celestial toy maker? We don't know that. That's all assumption. We know that Donna's back. Yes. Do we know that Rose is Donna's daughter? Or is that an assumption?
1: It's an assumption, but it's a fairly strong assumption. I'd put money on it.
0: So I guess the, the idea behind that is that that is repressed memories bleeding through and giving her sort of, that's why Rose comes from as a name.
1: Yeah, potentially. Although, obviously, because Rose is... Friends, Rose might have picked it herself, or oh yes, a
0: chosen name, isn't it? So
1: I don't know whether they'll acknowledge that. Because also, it doesn't matter that it, it might not have been mum because grandpa remembers everything, or well, great grandpa. So maybe Will told her stories of a you know a woman who materialised in the house with a massive gun and like saved the world. And then when she was looking for a name, she was like. Rose? Rose sounds pretty cool.
0: Yeah, Rose was badass. So, it could be that. Yeah. It could. I can't imagine that they are telling the stories to, to Rose, though, because they are so terrified of Donna remembering. Yeah. It may just be a coincidence.
1: It could. I mean, it's an, not an uncommon name. I know more than one Rose. So.
0: <laughs> what else do we know versus what is assumed? We know now that the Christmas special is Shooty's first full episode, don't we? It's not that he's regenerating at the end of it. We know he's in charge for that whole episode. I
1: believe, I believe that's confirmed.
0: Uh, so there are are there three specials and the three Christmas specials?
1: Three specials and Christmas.
0: Because when it was first announced, I remember thinking that there were two and the Christmas, that there were three total.
1: No, it's three specials then Christmas.
0: Do we know that NPH is the bad guy for all three specials?
1: No, he's only really confirmed for special
0: three. Three? Okay.
1: So special one appears to be beep the meat. Right. Special two we know almost nothing about. I think they've actually said that they haven't even shown any footage of it yet. I read somewhere that Russell Davis is has a sort of a, a dream or a fantasy of getting to the episode without having released anything, so we know nothing about that. And then, special three is Neil Patrick Harris.
0: Interesting. Okay. And we are confident that Rose is the companion, and that Donna just happens to be in it a bit. Donna's not the companion. We know this, or
1: I don't think so. I think it's gonna be Donna, and then Rose is just there. Okay. I think I think it's Donna but I don't know how they're going to explain this.
0: I don't think Wilf is going to be on the TARDIS. I know that they filmed all of his bits before he passed away, and that he was pretty close to passing away. Wilfred Mott. Not Wilfred Mott, sorry.
1: Yeah, Bernard Cribbins. Bernard Cribbins,
0: thank you. And I imagine that at least one of them will be dedicated to him.
1: Yeah, I'd be shocked if it wasn't.
0: It's so weird to me that just because his face looks like Tennant, that Fourteenant goes straight back to his last companion and goes straight back to that world and stuff. It, it... Are, we, are we saying that the whole personality has re-regenerated I
1: guess I think I, I'm I'm expecting an explanation within the, within the show It is
0: already established that he bloody loves being yeah. Tenant he used up two regenerations on Tenant yeah
1: we're now on 10 three. Not. Uh, not even including clone hand Tenant Point 2 unless this is clone hand Tenant Point 2 yeah
0: because we, we saw Jodie regenerate didn't we
1: but maybe it was like a body swap
0: we'll explain the clothes
1: see speculating wildly
0: and why he's aged mm, would. and why he was surprised see
1: hmm I've got your brain whirring.
0: You know what? Rose died in Pete's world, and he's come wandering back and going looking for the other Metacrisis. Ooh. He was a Metacrisis, and she was a Metacrisis, and they are bound and tied together like that, They last time they were both on.
1: Yeah, I do wonder if that whole Metacrisis thing is going to pay off.
0: I mean, that would mean that we're being lied to, that Fourteen and isn't fourteen, that Shooty isn't fifteen. And that we don't have a doctor in the 60th anniversary. It
1: could be. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, ever you know, you got rule one: the doctor lies. Actually, the real rule one is the showrunner lies. Russell T. Davis used to lie all the time. Stephen Moffat used to lie all the time. Would
0: you be happy with a 60th anniversary without the Doctor in
1: it? I don't know. I, I have, I just have, I have so much faith. I'm like, I think I will enjoy, it. like if it's a good story and, you know, we have the character of the Doctor. I don't know. I mean, we nearly, the 50th anniversary, famously almost didn't have any Doctors in it at all either. So no one was contractually obliged. The only actor they had in contract, and this is like right up till The Wire, was Jenna Coleman. So there was a version of the 50th that was her trapped in the Doctor's time stream.
0: Oh, yeah. going back to that. Sort
1: of bouncing about a bit, yeah. So yeah, there was a moment in time where there was no Doctors for the 50th, instead of all of them. <laughs> Plus Capaldi.
0: <laughs> I, I, depending on the story, it would be interesting to see that Metacrisis. That, there's, there's a lot of depth there that could be plumbed. Mm. Do we have any more speculation to do? We have been going on about the, um, quote, news for quite some time now.
1: Yeah, okay. I think, yeah, that's probably...
0: Should we start talking about The Empty Child?
1: Yeah. So The Empty Child.
0: Yes. You picked this one, and we, we said all along, only, you know, only part ones or part twos. It's, it's episodes, not stories. Why The Empty Child over The Doctor Dances?
1: I mean, The Doctor Dances is great. I feel like I have to, like, immediately sort of clarify. I do love it. And I think it's actually got one of the best endings to it, like a a two-parter. It sort of, it really does stick the landing. But the builder and the creepy mystery in this one is just so good that it has to be The Empty Child.
0: Let's be honest, Ruth. The reason that this one's in there and not the second part is because the second part doesn't have the face change. Yeah. With the constant doctor. That's the
1: best bit. I mean... So when this episode was broadcast I was nine and this was definitely the scariest thing I had ever seen in my entire life yeah it stayed with me and and, and it seemed a lot of people my age it stayed with
0: well, my age you
1: know yeah I mean you're an old man. If you were scared, imagine how I felt.
0: I was, I'm, I'm 10 years older than you, which was a much bigger deal at the time. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely, it was creepy and, and scary and just nailed that scariness that Doctor Who was known for.
1: Yeah, I mean, it felt almost too scary. I did an awful lot of teasing my sister, you know, going, are you my mummy? And all of that, um, and scaring the absolute Jesus out of them. And when I went to school on Monday, everyone was asking, are you my mummy? And... You know the scar on the hand. Yeah, we all like drew it on our hands, and we're like, "Oh, we're all about to turn." Really, like it just felt like it. It was such a moment, and a lot of people saw it. A lot of people were terrified by it. Yeah, so I really do love the empty child.
0: It's interesting. The Are You My Mummy has become iconic, I think I think even beyond Doctor Who. They can't have a gas mask in Doctor Who without somebody saying Are You My yeah. Mummy now. Look at the Sontaran strategy. Or
1: a mummy. Yeah. Doesn't 12 go Are You My Mummy to the Mummy on the Orient
0: Express? I think he probably does. It's referenced any it can be, because it would be missing if you didn't. But I think that's true beyond Doctor Who fandom as well. I think that Gas Masks and Are You My Mummy is just iconic enough to have entered the public, the zeitgeist.
1: Yeah, and I would say the only other thing that's done it from New Who would be the Weeping Angels. And it's yep. interesting that these are both Stephen Moffat creations. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think the music's great in this episode, so sort of creating that air of unease.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's great in a way that I... To be honest, didn't notice as much as with, say, with Rose. I think it sits there adding to it, but I'm not sure I could hum any of it. I'm not sure it's memorable, but that's a good thing because it's adding to the story, I think.
1: Yeah, it's very atmospheric. Definitely. And I think one of the things that struck me when I was watching the episode is just how witty the dialogue is. Yeah. Like, how snappy it is. It's almost a gag a minute, but it it doesn't feel like a sitcom. No,
0: it feels very real.
1: I don't want to start going off on my bitching about the Jodie era, but I was like, I miss this snappy, snappy dialogue. So the sort of pre-title sequence where they're chasing the thing and, you know, there's the gag about mauve meaning danger, red meaning camp. All those red alerts, all that dancing, like... (laughs) And, and that's, a, that's a joke that I didn't get when I saw it when I was younger. I had no idea what, what they meant by camp. I was confused.
0: Yeah.
1: I also didn't know what they meant by dancing, which I think potentially is why I didn't love the second episode as much, because a lot of it went over my head for yeah like, a good amount of time. So it, just, just the whole, the whole, op- and then when they come out and they're talking about, you know, milk coming from a cow and, you know, it's yeah, just non. Spanning for
0: alien tech. And the, are you sure about that t-shirt? No, nah, undecided. I'm taking it out for a test drive. That felt really real, and I think that's the difference. Yeah. You know, again, not to harp on the Jodie era, but it feels written for that era. This felt like yeah. two people who have been travelling around for a little while that know each other.
1: Yeah. Because that's the sort of things people do say to each other. Yeah. It doesn't feel overly scripted, even though it's quite snappy dialogue.
0: And then that the T-shirt particularly pays off so many times through the episode. The fact that she then ends up on a barrage balloon in a Union Jack in the middle of a in a blitz and he he asks for a girl wearing a flag you know a specific one I don't just have a a craving it pays off so many times to be set up with that line it's very very tightly written and it does show Moffat at his best I think because sometimes he can take that too far definitely yeah I've got a few times through this episode that like the Moffatisms shine through but maybe we can talk about that a little bit later on I like that it starts in the middle of the action the cold open
1: yes I don't think we'd had that before.
0: No. I think
1: trying to think of the other episodes in the series, they kind of start at the start of the story. And this is the start of the story, but obviously, you know, they were out and about and then they found something. Okay, and now it's are starting.
0: It definitely starts where it feels like Rose is aware that something's starting. Like maybe a couple of seconds after that. But realistically what would you have? You'd have them having a cup of tea and then a thing pops up on the screen and then it starts. It doesn't you're not missing anything for it. Mm. But I think it's actually it works really, really well. Um I like that it leans on the cultural knowledge of World War Two. It takes a long time to actually say World War II or, you know, the Blitz or anything like that. When the, when the reveal is first done, they're laughing at the doctor in the club because he's asked if something fell from the sky and made a loud bang. And then he notices the alarm and then he notices the posters. Yeah.
1: Because those air raid sirens, they're just iconic.
0: Yeah, and it it leans into that. And I quite liked that.
1: Yeah, definitely. It doesn't, you you just sort of know when it's set.
0: Yeah. It felt like the world and the war and and all the characters existed outside of the episode as well. Mm. Whereas even with like Victory of the Daleks, I didn't get that.
1: It was trying too hard to do, say, this is World War II. was actually, I think a good historical just takes place in history. It doesn't have to be about history.
0: Yeah, even Churchill didn't feel like he existed outside of that episode. But Nancy does. Mm. Nancy 100% feels like a real character and that she's existed before and will continue to exist afterwards.
1: Yeah. And she's wonderfully acted as well.
0: She's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. All the way through, she thinks she outshines um, Eccleston, which is not easy to do. Yeah.
1: Especially considering what an established actor he was at the time and stuff.
0: Yeah. The, the whole setup, the whole world building, the whole concept behind it worked. And it gives you a wider universe at the same time. You've got the time agency, bits of learning that kind of prove that Jack didn't just come into existence there and then.
1: Yeah. Well, he's halfway through the story as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, it really. Yeah. He does feel like you've just bumped into him.
0: Yeah, he's he's not there for the doctor and what have you. He trapped them. He's there on his own existing out on his own. He is Space Con man, eventually. I also I love that Jack is all sci-fi-y and sort of futuristic and scanning for Alien Tech and Invisible Spaceship and the doctor is bbc not sci-fi and that there's lampshade hung on it and stuff and i wonder if that's why jack is american as well
1: yeah it definitely adds to the pizzazz and the Ooh, i'm gonna for alien yeah
0: yeah yeah it's it's american sci-fi versus british sci-fi and british sci-fi realistically is just doctor well yeah
1: i mean should we talk a bit about jack (laughs) lovely lovely captain jack harkness yeah he is out and proud by in his very first scene which I think I've forgotten. Yeah. That he he goes from checking out Rose's butt to that fellow soldiers. Yeah. We love to see it. And it feels very modern. Like, I feel like if they did that today, people would
0: be like, oh, so woke.
1: But yeah, and it's nuts. Like, when I think back, I'm not sure I'd ever seen so openly gay character
0: Ever. Not even just gay, but bisexual, even today. Bisexual characters are so rarely shown because... By
1: erasure, boo.
0: Well, yeah, within story reasons, you're one or the other. What's the point of buy people? You know, all that sort of bollocks. Yeah, it was almost certainly the first bisexual I'd seen on on television. Although, is bisexual even the right word? Pansexual, probably.
1: I think... um the word i've heard used is omnisexual yeah. which makes me laugh and something that i hadn't thought about until a few years ago i think someone tweeted about it is that this came out in 2005 and is it's a family show but that mm-hmm. means it's also for children and section 28 which banned the promotion of homosexuality to children only ended in 2003 so
0: it was only just legal essentially when they were making it
1: yeah kids these days you're more likely to if you're watching children's tv there might be a character with two mums or two dads or stuff like that all of that stuff it wasn't even legal when i was little so this was absolutely the first time i'd ever been exposed to this and for it to be so normalized and it's not really a joke oh yeah I think it's quite remarkable, actually.
0: It's it's no more a joke than Joey was in Friends or Barney was in How I Met Your Mother. It's just that it's pointed at
1: at anyone. He's a horny bastard, but he's horny for everyone.
0: Something I didn't catch until until these rewatches for for this was that, of course, Rose collapses into a mushy ball of of melt at him.
1: Oh, she's such a teenager in this episode. She is.
0: She's 19 years old and there's a 51st century... Sex addict flirting with her. Of course, she basically succumbs.
1: Yeah, and he gives her champagne, and she's just like, "What?" Yeah,
0: and then dances with her while trying to do business, and she's not prepared for that at all. I think she holds together pretty well.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, I remember watching this when I was younger and being a bit annoyed by her and that scene. Like, why isn't she paying attention? But now I'm grown. I'm like,
0: yeah, that's exactly. That is, yeah.
1: that is a nineteen-year-old he's a little bit tipsy, a little bit lightheaded, headed and a man who looks like 2005 John Barrowman is flirting with her. Of course, she can barely string a sentence together.
0: Yeah, I'd probably struggle.
1: Yeah, I think I think I think most people would. Yeah, if sort of just made eye contact with you.
0: I think we need to touch on it. The the John Barrowman controversies. Yes. They're less cut and dry than with Noel Clark. Yeah, absolutely. Why though? Is it just intention? I think it is. I think yeah.
1: I think I think I think the idea is that John Barman wasn't meaning. Was, potentially wasn't aware or thought he was being jovial or... I guess
0: there's you know, less of a
1: victim. You know, it's a bit, whereas the, the, the Noel Clark stuff's quite... Uh,
0: malicious. Malicious, thank you. So for context, there are numerous stories and numerous occasions and, and John Barrowman Bar- has said them himself, where he was on stage or on set with his... How did Freya... I, 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 uh,
1: oh, Freema Adgerman.
0: Freema Adgerman, thank you. She, she. I think she described it as his chap out
1: yes well you know it's a bit strange to me not strange that it's um there's been any controversy about it but strange that it came out so much later because it it wasn't a secret. People were making... I remember watching behind-the-scenes footage as a child, and people were talking about this. Yeah. It's referenced all that. It was like a known thing that he did, and he was asked to stop, and he didn't. And I think he's doubled down a little bit on it, which I think is also part of the problem, that he's potentially gone a bit defensive.
0: I read the statement, and he says... It wouldn't be acceptable now, but it was acceptable then. Mm. Or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. It wasn't acceptable then either, but I also think he's not wrong in that it wasn't seen or taken as sexual harassment at the time. It's not. A little bit. Some of this comes about because the Noel Clark thing came to light and sort of, as a distraction, people pointed at John Berriman as well.
1: Yeah. And I don't think they can be classed in the same thing because... No. I think one is considerable. I mean, one, there was looking into potential criminal things. Yeah. And I don't think anyone who knew about the Noel Clark stuff talked about it in a jovial way, whereas I think there are people that thought the John Barrowman stuff was funny, which adds to the complexities.
0: Yeah, and it was it was intended to be funny, and it was intended to make him the butt of the joke. He wasn't trying to belittle the people looking at it. He was trying to put a smile on their face. He was trying to be... Oh, look at me with me wang out. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if, you, if you've always got your wang out, John, then it, it does it does stop being funny at some point. Yeah. Yes, look at you with your wang out. Wouldn't it be nice to see you with your wang away?
1: It's childish and potentially not particularly sensitive to the people around you and yeah. whether they want to see your chap.
0: You know, your dick out and isn't it funny I've got my dick out. God, that must still happen every week at rugby clubs up and down the country and, and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I know boys at school who regularly just moon yeah. you. Yeah. And I, they I, I probably still do.
0: Yeah. <sighs> and it's not, it's like you say, it's very, very childish, but it's not as aggressive. It's not as...
1: No. And I don't think it was intended as a power trip. I mean, you can't say for sure.
0: No, it's kind of, but I thought it was worth drawing attention to, you know, hopefully next week we won't have to talk about some sexual misconduct. Yeah, let's just not talk about Noel Clark. Well, we've already covered that.
1: Oh yeah, we have. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, hopefully we won't have to talk about some new sexual misconduct.
1: <laughs> no more.
0: Oh, what if it turns out that, um, that the Welsh woman did some terrible, terrible things? That
1: would make me so sad.
0: Does that mean, like, there's four people in that episode? So she's better fucking not have. Anyway, back to The Empty Child. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, back to Captain Jack. Fantastic. Fantastic addition to this, I think. Mm. I loved the that him and the Doctor were both kind of doing investigations and asking questions to find things out without revealing who they were. And sort of, they were very much set up as parallels.
1: Yeah. And I also like that it does come crumbling down as soon as he admits, you know, I, it was a con, I'm a con man, I was conning you. Yeah. That he suddenly you see this splash of cowardice.
0: Is it cowardice or is it like taking responsibility? He's saying, Look, well, I'm I'm conning you. That's yes, that's please. true, but I did not do this. This whole plague thing is not to do with me. I it's an empty ship. I'm conning you. But this is something else. And it does turn out it was because of him, but it was because it wasn't deliberately because of him. And from the moment he knows that something bad has happened, he is there helping them, even though his whole plan his whole oh i want to sell you a, an ambulance and then blow it up thing has gone out the window he doesn't try to piss off or escape at any point yeah i i, I like that i like the um the flirting
1: yeah and the immaturity of the flirting as well because jack is being a grown-up and yes rose is barely listening
0: yeah she's all pretty man is dancing it's
1: good and i, I do like the moments where it reminds you that rose is so because she's so young
0: she is but she's Quite mature with it, though. I like, like, the she is paying attention. Yeah. To so the extent that she says you used to be part of the time agency, but now you're some sort of freelancer. I've checked. He doesn't say he used to be part of that. That is a clever piece of writing by Moffat to drop some exposition in there that doesn't sound like exposition because it's supposedly repeating what you've just said. It's a clever trick. That is clever. But he doesn't say that. He might imply it, and, you know, you can believe she's got that. Very interesting. It's nice to know that um, Star Trek is no longer a a current reference in the 51st century. nice to know that we will allow some of our um, pop culture icons to die at some point. Even Spock. Tragic. Was that a good joke? What joke? That the Doctor was called Mr. Spock. Not really. It it was a callback. Give me some Spock. And then he was Mr. Spock.
1: I mean, something I wondered about is, you know, I grew up in quite a heavy Star Trek family. So I knew who Spock was, but I don't know if, you know, the average nine-year-old
0: would have known what they were banging on about. Nine-year-old, no. But the the zeitgeist had definitely had Mr. Spock. And maybe we're looking back on it in a, you know, nerd chic has has exploded and maybe even slightly past by now. Yeah, You know, we all know about Star Wars and Star Trek and, and Marvel heroes. It's and not things.
1: really counterculture anymore.
0: Yeah, if he dropped a Hawkeye reference, no one would have known what, what he was talking about. So maybe Mr. Spock was, like, the only reference they could make.
1: That's true. I suppose he is quite iconic. Oh, would you like a uh, fun fact? Go on. So, um, the Albion Hospital, where... The sort of end of this episode takes place is the same hospital as the uh, space pig in Aliens of London.
0: Makes sense. From a production side of things, it makes sense that. Oh, do you mean within in the story?
1: Within no, within the universe. Oh. Not, not within. Yeah, within the universe it's the same hospital. So there you go. There's a there's a little bit, of, little bit of trivia. Oh,
0: I like that. That's a nice little tie. And that they didn't sort of say, hey, haven't we been here before?
1: No, it's like a little um, Easter egg. And he used to love finding these Easter eggs.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I really like that. Can we talk about Richard Wilson, um, Dr Constantine? I think
1: we have to. He's so good in this.
0: Fucking incredible performance. Ah, oh. Absolutely brilliant.
1: Especially when you realise he, he knows the whole time that he's on a ticking clock. He knows it's coming for him.
0: Yeah, the line... Uh, the, when this war started, I was a father and a grandfather. Now I am neither, but I'm still a doctor. Oh, that's so powerful and delivered so brilliantly. It
1: is, it is. And it, it's such, again, a clever bit of writing because it tells you everything you need to know about his character. And then as soon as the doctor goes, knows the feeling. Tells you a whole bunch more about him. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful.
0: And then he turns into a terrifying monster. Oh. And I think it's probably him that makes the phrase, are you my mummy, scary. Because he that's the sign he's yeah. gone.
1: And it, it breaking out of him. And he just looks so scared. Oh, and then what do you make of that effect? Because I feel like that's aged brilliantly, considering this is like 18 years ago.
0: What do you know about the cracking skull sound effect?
1: Right, so I know a little bit, because when it was first broadcast, I think, it had the cracking skull. And then they took it off, because there was complaints or something like that.
0: I think it was when they first cut it, it had the Cracking Skull. And then they took it off for of the broadcast.
1: I've definitely seen it with and without. Yes,
0: they put it back on for a version on the DVD. I don't know if it's the version on the DVD.
1: Yes. So I remember on the DVD, the DVD of the series was a 12. Yes. Or this episode was a 12. Or it was a 12 because of the crack. Yeah. Um, Because I, I remember this because I was nine. So I thought it was... I thought it was strange that it was a 12 because I was like, this is fine.
0: Yeah, but... I hadn't connected until I read with that that his lung is collapsing, his chest is collapsing, his skull is shattering at that point. Oh,
1: yeah, because they list everything, all the ailments. So, oh, oh, it's horrible.
0: Yeah, that crack would have made you realise what that transformation is. It's not just your face turning, which is kind of what it feels like, but all the injuries coming across. Gosh,
1: yeah. And it's body horror. I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, body horror and just... Everybody that that fell for it. I think they didn't lean very hard into the physical injuries as plague idea. No. Which could have been equally scary in a very different way. And I think it's a story they could, you know, an idea they could definitely go back to and do one of those doctor, like somebody says physical injuries as plague and have the doctor going, you know, this feels very familiar. Mm. And gets on with it. Because that physical injury as plague is also a really scary idea. Even when you take out the mind control and the, you know, the child, Jamie, as we learn. Yeah, just just absolutely terrifying and iconic. Yeah. So, looking at my notes here, I have a list of Moffatisms that I sort of spotted through this. Now, that's not just comments that are like Moffat phrases, but things that Moffat likes to do. And I want to see whether you think that they are Moffati or Doctor Huey, Okay. So you've got the, the ringing phone. I think he might be the only guy that actually has that phone ringing as a writer.
1: Oh yeah, fair point, well made, because it does. It does ring it.
0: He bloody loves that phone ring.
1: I suspect that he realised that there's a big part of the set, the iconography, is this thing that's supposed to have a phone in it. And we never use the phone. But yeah, I think that is a bit of a morphetism.
0: Introducing a futurey companion. I think that, you know, he's introducing in this, Captain Jack. Is Captain Jack like a proto-River Song?
1: I think there are definitely similarities. I feel like they plug a similar gap in that the doctory without being the doctor. And they're doctory, but allowed to be a bit more morally grey. In that they're allowed to shoot people. <laughs>
0: and they understand the future.
1: Yeah, I think that is quite similar. Although I'm not quite sure. I don't know whether Stephen Moffat actually created Captain Jack or whether he was sort of given him. He
0: introduced him.
1: I think he was given him. Yeah. But I think there's definitely similarities. And definitely River kind of plugs that Captain Jack hole.
0: having somebody refer to an actual doctor as the doctor oh
1: yeah he loves that's a moffatism he's you know
0: yeah he also had rose say doctor doctor who
1: yeah he loves people saying that doesn't make sense no but you would actually say doctor what yeah but yeah that's a very that's a moffatism if it were a br- one yeah because that's what you'd actually say doctor doctor what
0: then i've got kind of two phrases that just seem quite Moffati to me, the first is more Moffati than the other. I think calling Doctor Constantine the Constant Doctor, yeah, that kind of wordplay is what Moffat lives for. He loves those kind of. I could do this
1: it's a little bit of fun. Yeah, agree. Yeah.
0: I'm almost certain that Constant Doctor came first. Yeah. There's an idea and then that's what the whole character was built around and then named Doctor Constantine so that he'd be that, you know, he's been hanging around even when everybody else is gone because he's the Constant Doctor and oh, he comes back to life at the end because he's the Constant Doctor. And that's very Moffaty. And the other I couldn't tell if this was just a bit of interesting writing or a bit Moffatty, but the doctor says um it's brilliant. I can't tell if it's Marxism in action or a western, western musical.
1: musical. <laughs> I love that line. I
0: love that line. Is it a Moffati line or is it just a good line? I
1: think it might just be a good line. Yeah. I think it's just a really good line. Because it is it is a bit it's a bit Oliver, isn't it? Like I mean Nancy's called Nan and she's Nancy. Oh, yeah. So I do get I do.
0: That's probably the more Moffatti thing is pointing out it's a bit like Oliver and then calling her Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Like spotted those going through there and thought, Oh Moffat, we, we see this coming up again and again, don't we? But yeah, he loves that ringing foam.
1: Yeah, he does. I hadn't even clocked that one. Good spot.
0: (laughs) Oh, here's a note. The Empty Child was written as an empty child as a reference to an unearthly child. Uh,
1: That that makes sense. That makes sense.
0: Only in title. I mean, there's basically nothing in the story, is there? No.
1: But, yeah, it's nice to have these little references. And I think these little references were even more exciting when it was fresh back. There are less of them.
0: Yeah, that's, I suppose, you know, oh, yeah, it's tying into the original Doctor. Yeah, of course it is. We've had Gallifrey been and gone since then. Uh, I have two more facts on my notes. Mm -hmm. Hit me. The next episode trailers were moved to after the credits, which is probably a reaction to Aliens of London, where they were before the credits, and people complained that that spoiled that the Doctor got out of the cliffhanger ending.
1: Oh, yeah. Because you know he's going to get out, but you don't want to immediately break that tension.
0: Yeah. So they moved the next episode trailers to afterwards. And Chula. Do you know what Chula is? It's not from nowhere. What is Chula? Chula is the name of an Indian and Bangladeshi restaurant that all the writers would have like their script meetings in and their celebrations after the show and things. It's in Hammersmith. So it's a reference to the writers. They put Chula in because it was the name. Does it still
1: exist? Go have a nice curry?
0: Yeah, I'd be up for that. Uh, but yeah, I think I think this was a, a great episode. I really, yeah, iconic. Yes. It feels like we haven't said as much, but properly iconic.
1: It is completely iconic, I think. Yeah, I, for me, it's like a highlight of series one.
0: And it, it goes down in, you know, it, it's on a lot of people's best of lists. I think that build up is, is incredible and, and fantastic. I love watching the Doctor solving a mystery. That is something that faded during Matt Smith's tenure. He started off solving mysteries and ended up figuring it all out in the last 10 minutes. I think it's great to see that. I think the the transformation and the Are You My Mummy like fear is, is iconic in there. The only thing I'm disappointed we didn't get to talk about because it was in the other one is the line when Dr. Constantine comes back and um, he is approached by the old lady who says, "I when I came to you, I only had one leg and now it's grown back. His response is, well, there is a war on. Is, is it possibly possible you miscounted? miscounted? and <laughs> it's brilliant and it is just it's it's richard wilson is a gem
1: so good yeah scary it's funny oh Doctor is finest
0: well that about wraps it up for this week
1: next week we'll be talking about nick's pick boomtown so please join us for that
0: thank you for listening to universal appeal why not let us know what you think by leaving a review on your podcast service of choice
1: it would really help us out and we'd love to hear from you
0: So until next time, enjoy all your adventures in time and space.
1: See you next week. Bye.
0: Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Doctor Who.
1: That's a great t-shirt. If it didn't make me look like a massive racist, I'd totally get that t-shirt.